just doing those those road trips as a kid and seeing the different states often and going to a place you know coastal maine and and coastal new jersey while coastal couldn't be more different in atmosphere and temperature and people and and nature and i think that that has always triggered uh the adventurer in me to to say i like where i am now but what else is there like how do i know that where i am is the place for me if i haven't tried something else yet First Person is a podcast about life-changing travel experiences, where Ray and I conduct interviews about trips that change people's lives. I'm Maula. We started this podcast because we've personally had trips that changed our lives, and wanted to share these stories with you. Hey everyone, welcome to First Person. This is Nino. And I'm Ray. Today, we have with us Kevin, who is a designer and a jogger and all-around excellent dude <laughs> so um so welcome kevin nice thank you thank you very much for having me on yeah absolutely um so um tell us about your trip your life changing trip and what was it that made it so impactful to you cool so yeah when uh i mean ray we we talked pretty regularly and a few weeks ago you'd asked me to kind of think about this and, and if you wanted me or if uh yeah, you wanted me to be on the show. And so it really started to like right away when everyone asked me, what's the best trip you've been on? What's the, the coolest thing you've done? Um, you know, a few years ago, my wife and I went to Iceland and we spent two weeks there. We rented a car. We kind of did the, when you're going to Iceland, this is what you do trip, which is flying to Reykjavik and drive south to uh, some of the peninsulas down there. And you go up north to Arakeri. And, you know, in my mind, whenever anyone asks what the best trip is, I always think to that. And so my reaction was, that was my life-changing trip Mm -hmm. Uh, but then really when I started to think about it um you know that only happened a few years ago and I was like well what what did that really do to my mindset to my life to my career uh and you know other than yes I did propose to my wife there uh but in reality you know we had dated for so many years before that that I probably could propose many places and the answer was still going to be the same so it wasn't necessarily that like that Iceland trip had actually affected anything um that I'm doing now so I really wanted to rewind back from there and, and put some time and thought and effort into why do I love to travel so much and why am I somewhat of a nomad? Uh, you know, I, I've, over the past, I don't know, eight years have lived in at least six or seven different states. You know, I had a job that at one point in time moved me every six months and even since that job, and I've been with the same company now for nine years, I've worked for them in three different offices across three different states and basically every year and a half, just decide it's time to get up and move somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what was really like the, the point in my childhood or life that allowed me to, to want to live like that and, and to travel like I do. And I really think for me then that it came down to when I was younger, uh, you know, in late grade school, uh, early middle school and high school, my family and I pretty much, at least in my mind, it seemed like every year, but when I'm looking back on it, it's really like every year and a half that we went up to Maine. Uh, and it was awesome and it always started the same way you know we went usually uh, in late summer because if you go in like midsummer in Maine it's kind of hot and gross and that's when everybody goes so we always went right before the school year started or right after the school year started and would just take a week off and uh, <laughs> my my family was a bit of a, a soccer family you know I have two younger sisters and at some point in time all of us has uh, have been playing soccer so we drove up to Maine 
every time in a giant, ugly, like, eight-person van. Um, when was it? Like, you say in your childhood, but when exactly? What? How old were you? What grade you were in? Uh, I think it was. It feels like uh, you know, fourth and fifth grade was probably the first time we went up. Uh, some of my earliest memories are. I either, so I, I said the two younger sisters. One is three years younger than me, and one six years younger than me. And so the uh, the youngest one, I either don't remember in that first trip up, or she was in like you know a car seat and very young and sleeping the whole time. But uh, I remember it being like fourth or fifth grade because my sister and I would sit in the back and would just be playing games the entire time or, you know, uh, just like kids do, just fooling around in the back seat of a car, playing cards or playing board games or counting things going by. And uh, I used to play a trick on her all the time where I would ask her to, you know, hold her hands up and she, I would try to guess how many fingers she was holding up uh-huh. and I would show her my eyes being closed. But in reality, my eyes would be like closed enough that she was young enough she would think they were closed but I'd be peeking a little bit and every time would guess how many fingers she was holding up <laughs> and she was always amazed by that. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. So yeah, it definitely started in like, let's say fifth grade for me and uh, we went at least three times so it probably went until like either uh, eighth or ninth grade. And so I think like um, for me, you know, some of the life-changing element of that trip was part of that bond that it created with uh, with my sisters because when you're in a van and your parents are switching driving off so you know we didn't we never stopped at hotels you know halfway through we would just drive the uh it seemed forever it was probably in reality maybe you know 16 to 18 hours from south jersey to mid northern maine Mm -hmm. um you just have to find ways to to get along and and not fight constantly in the back in the back of the van that's that's quite a ride yeah yeah it was wild did your parents have games set up for you? You talked about playing board games and card games, or did you guys just make do? Uh, it was probably a little bit of both. In in my memory, it felt very made up and, and sort of spontaneous, but I'm sure, um, you know, as with, with a lot of things in life, a little bit of good planning makes everything seem a bit more fun and spontaneous. So there definitely was always something in the car. Uh, I mean, the type of car was definitely, the van was like, a big hippie van like the back seat was just a bench that if you wanted to would lay down into a bed <laughs> and like the two seats in front of it and then the two seats up front and the driver and passenger seats were kind of like if you ever seen space balls and they have sort of have those like big commander chairs in the way yeah. they go that could spin all the way around <laughs> like that was in this van. <laughs> that sounds amazing yeah we had curtains on the windows like that you can close shut and it was definitely the thing <laughs> that i see now in san francisco where i live yeah. Where when that van's type of van's parked somewhere and the curtains are shut, you're like, oh yeah, people are living in that van. Yeah, that sounds excellent. Um, it it makes me think of like the A team <laughs> for some reason. It was just... that, that was the. <laughs> I mean, like it it wasn't this cool color. It was like brown on the outside with like stripes of light lighter brown and darker brown. But it was that exact style of van. <laughs> that van is amazing, and now I I want it. Do, does your family still own that van? No, we we had two versions of that in our traveling lives. We had that version, uh, which was literally a team van, but with seats inside. Uh, and then I remember <laughs> that we uh, we got pretty much the same exact style of van, except it was white. And so we were like, "This is amazing. We're not driving around this giant brown thing anymore." Uh, and that newer one also had a razor for the ceiling, 
So it was like, you know, imagine adding another foot or foot and a half to the, the roof of the van so you could like stand up on the inside without having to duck over. Uh, nice. Yeah, it was it was pretty spectacular. And maybe, <laughs> I mean, my mom is not a, a, a large person. She is maybe like, I don't know, five, six and like 120 pounds. And I remember one day, as a sort of side story, our uh, our vans were never bought new. We were always used, and my dad was always doing handiwork on them to, to keep them going. And there was like a week when I was growing up where our power steering went out, and my mom would still obviously, you know, have to go to work, have to pick us up, go to soccer practice. And if you're going at speed down the highway, totally fine. But like leaving our house and going through the suburbs to get to the highway and, and on the way back, mm. I remember my mom having to like put her foot against the door and with like both hands, like just put all of her weight into that yeah. wheel to like turn it to go around a corner. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, wow. we, we had a lot of good memories in, uh, in, in those vans. And yeah. e- even before going to Maine, like growing up and I think this all, you know, ties into the story and has the, the effect on, uh, of who I am now, but we never stayed in a hotel and we never flew anywhere until I was at least in high school. Like even if we went down to Disneyland, we drove from New Jersey down to Disney. We either, uh, you know, stayed in the van or had a bunch of camping equipment and camped out on campsites in Disney. Um, we did the same in Maryland and Assateague and, and Maine and Vermont. Like that was just how our family for the first 16, 17 years of my life, did vacations. Wow. That sounds phenomenal, just being outside. It sounds like it it gave you the ability to actually create those bonds and get to really know your parents and your siblings. Yeah, I I think it really did. Um, You know, looking back on it, it's the the reason why, you know, on a probably weekly and, and a lot of times, you know, twice a week at least, that I'll just randomly call my sister and, and tell her a joke or chat about the day and, and vice versa. It's definitely created a, a, a close bond between a, a set of siblings that, that, you know, the extremes are seven years difference, but we can still hang out and talk and, you know, be best friends as well as brothers and sisters. So tell us about the, when you got to Maine, what did you guys do there? So going up to Maine, we always, um, had a few stops you know one was in Massachusetts on the way up and I remember it being a thing at the time that was like super special and something that could only happen once you started this journey and has since become much more um maybe not mundane but but frequent and that is lobster rolls Mm. like when you know in growing up in Jersey in the 80s and 90s no one knew what a lobster roll was unless you had done the trip to Maine or had been up to Massachusetts or, you know, maybe even Connecticut at the time. And so I remember one of the first things always uh, on that trips that we went up was like stopping off at a place and either getting a lobster roll or just getting like on the side of a, a road, just a giant plate with a big, you know, bright red steam lobster and fries next to it. And that was always the like vacation started we're up in the mountains in Maine. It smells like uh, seawater and pine trees and kind of wet, fresh air, and you're eating a lobster. Now I know why you love lobster rolls. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I mean, since then, I've lived in Connecticut. I've lived in Massachusetts. You know, I've been back to Maine so many times on my own that, like, lobster rolls are just, uh, thankfully, not in a bad, mundane way, but are a much regular part of my life. 
the uh, the other thing that kind of always kicked off that trip that let us know you know it's underway. Um, and this one, it, it's funny, like it's a bit more commercial. And later in life, I've since, for the most part, avoid as many commercial establishments as possible. Um, just so I'm always trying new things and not going back to the familiar. But was going to the LL Bean, uh, like their main place in Vermont, which also had like a big uh, Ben and Jerry's sort of establishment with it and it was one of those yellow beans that like when you went in there was a river in it and there was a rock climbing wall and as like you know a fourth or fifth grader it was just like oh my god there's a forest in this store that you can play around in <laughs> and i'm sure looking back after everyone back there it's like you know a bunch of plastic rocks and like fake water running in the stream and it'd probably be a totally different memory but not having been back since and only having that memory of, of me being there as a child it's still this kind of like magical disney-like place but when we actually got to Maine, so as I said earlier too, we always went camping. And um, we had this one place, uh, it was on uh, Acadia National Park, it was one of the big parks up there. It's it's past Camden, uh, it's past Booth Bay, and it's pretty much right next to Bar Harbor. And it's a series of small islands and bays that are all connected and you can kind of kayak everywhere around there. And so we always had this one campsite that from the first time we stayed there is always where we went back to. Uh, I think if you look at it, it's campsite C-19. It's either C-19 or, or E-19. We always went back to. And it was kind of a platform campsite, so you weren't on the ground. You know, you had a, a wooden platform that was built because often up in Maine, especially that time of year, you know, it's wet. There's a lot of just dew and moisture in the air and, and very rainforest-like environment, so you wouldn't always want to be on the on the ground for that but it was uh yeah this raised platform campsite that was on the edge of a cliff just overlooking uh the bay and the islands and it was one of the best things to to wake up to as a kid to i'm sure for my parents way too early be like what are we doing today and just <laughs> they, them being like just go outside for a little bit and you know brothers and sisters just leaving the tent with boots and running clothes on and just having this like small and probably safe but seemingly to us like super outdoors adventure every morning where you can climb around the rocks and go fishing for crabs and um just have whatever kind of adventure as a kid you wanted to be playing in the forests and it was like that every day for a week week and a half of our summers oh, okay that was the question i was gonna ask like what time of year was it yeah it was uh late late august early september um you know right around the school season starting and so it was usually up in Maine that time of year where things go from being hot to a bit more crisp and, you know, the the sunsets become a bit more warm and um, the water becomes a bit more cool, but still all to the point of like super enjoyable and really nice, just not hot. And so um, it, was, it was actually probably a lot like San Francisco type weather, which I think is also one of the reasons why I love living out here right now in that the mornings and evenings were crisp and cool and you would need a, a hoodie or a jacket, but it would be super comfortable with that. And then during the day, you were kind of in maybe like hiking pants or shorts and a t-shirt and it was sunny and nice and, um, you know, it was, always seemed to be that perfect feeling of, of temperature and, and humidity for whatever moment in the day it was. That's a feeling we share. I love the weather in the Northwest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the weather and I think to the um the geography, just that sense of, you know, at any point in time you could be in the forest or you could be in sort of these craggy 
rockside hills or you could be on the ocean you know in the beach in the water there's just there's such a variety um you know within a half mile within the mile that it kind of always holds that sense of of wonder oh what type of adventures did you and your siblings go through when you were out there um one of the ones that we loved doing that was you know regular once we started going up there more um there's a place called jordan pond which is uh right near bar harbor and since i've been back as an adult you can camp there or sorry as an adult you can bike there um but as kids i'm sure my parents were worried about a bunch of cars and streets so we drove actually to the park but jordan pond is at the top of two mountains um, that you can hike up and lovely trails great forests um everything up there in in terms of like forest and outdoors especially that time of year uh just really held a super similar feeling to the redwoods out here you know the trees are smaller and they're not necessarily as majestic but in terms of like having that dampness always caught in the air and that mist hanging around that sort of makes it feel like you're you're always in a, a lord of the rings movie <laughs> um and, and so jordan pond was one of the things we loved going back to and and i think it was partly because it was a great park uh i think it's probably a state park and some really nice hiking to it but the special thing uh and this is also carried through to to this day is up top there was a uh, a restaurant i think called like the jordan pond inn and it was a small thing uh you know it wasn't wasn't too fancy or anything like that but the the cool part was you'd go up and you would get a clam chowder and you would get what uh they call popovers and if you don't know what a popover is it's a very uh egg heavy dough that uh has a little bit of of levity to it so that when you put a small scoop of it in a pan with a little bit of butter and you bake it at a really high temperature for a short period of time it explodes and it becomes this like huge puff of of pastry and dough that um isn't sweet you know it still has almost like a pancake type flavor but has this crispy crusty outside and usually this like very airy and hollow inside uh, is, i mean it, it sounds delicious what did you eat it with you you'd really just put some butter in it um if you wanted to or some jam and kind of dip it in whatever food you were having it, it's actually a english uh thing and over there they call it a uh a yorkshire pudding uh, it's a little different. It's the same exact dough and the same making, but what they do over there, rather than putting in like cupcake tins and having this thing explode, is they take um, the the drippings from a roast in this roast pan, and they essentially throw this batter into that roast pan with the drippings and put it back in the oven real quick, and that kind of poofs up and and makes this like, you know, meaty salty um, dipping at the bottom of of this dough and the top having that like crusty crispiness. Uh, and so this is kind of the American take on it is put it in these pastry pans. It's definitely a Martha Stewart thing and just kind of, <laughs> you know, dip it in whatever, um, meat, uh, you know, drippings or sauce you're having or whatever soup you're having, or if you're doing it in breakfast, you know, doing it with jam and butter. That's phenomenal. Now, now where can we get these things in, in the Northwest? Um, you can easily go to a, uh, what are those fancy cooking stores? Like a, a, a a Wilson, no. A Surla pan, Surla table would be one. Like you can go, and even if you just Googled popover pans, you know, Amazon sells them for like five bucks. Uh, if you want to make your own dough, um, I would Google New York Times popover recipe. They have the one that we always go back to. It's it's solid. Martha Stewart has her own version. 
um, or if you just Google, similar to like what you do with an Aunt Jemima for uh, for making pancakes, there's like a pre-made mix for popovers that you can just add water and maybe an egg and have it be ready. But totally, like if you want to impress your your family or or husbands or wives uh, for like a Christmas meal, and you're doing some sort of you know pork roast or lamb roast with like rosemary make these put them to the side and like whenever we make them for for family or friends coming over we know we need to make two batches because they are the first things to go like that mm. you put out that popover uh dish with the the towels over it to keep them warm and the moment that hits the you know the table it's like everyone's grabbing for them wow that sounds delicious yeah so that's definitely one of the the main things that we always looked forward to as an adventure was hiking up to the top of those mountains and that kind of reward up top where you're eating outdoors, looking at the the land that you just traversed, and having a nice popover and, and bowl of soup. Um, the other big thing out there, which is is one of the the mountains it's known for, is Cadillac Mountain. Uh, I believe it is the highest mountain on the East Coast, or at least it's the highest point on the East Coast. Uh, and you could get there two ways: the fun way, which is hiking up the side of it, uh, or the easy way, which is driving up top. So you'll, uh, you know, up in the Northeast, you'll see a ton of, of stickers, bumper stickers on cars saying like, you know, my car has been to the top of Mount Cadillac or like my car has seen the sunrise over Mount Cadillac. So that's the thing that people love to do being the, the highest point on the East Coast is, you know, go up there before sunrise and sit up there and, and watch the sun come up. Uh, I don't think we ever did that with my family or if so, it was definitely my parents doing it and we were still like sleeping in the car somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but the really cool thing, and so me and my dad did this. I don't think my, my sisters and my mom ever did because were sisters are probably too young and someone needed to watch them, was at, at parts of the hike up Mount Cadillac, um, it gets steep enough that there are just rungs in the side of the brock, just like a ladder would be. But, you know, there's no cage around you. There's no clips to put a carrying carabiner onto. So, you know, I, I'm sure it was as safe as anything could be in that area but like as a kid it was like this is we're doing legit rock climbing dad this is awesome <laughs> yeah sounds scary too oh it definitely was too like it's you know I'd, I'd probably like give my dad a couple looks and be like this is this is okay and he's like, yes. <laughs> totally fine you, you go first <laughs> but uh it was definitely yeah one of those bonding experiences of you know, just me and him climbing to the top of that. And at the time, like I said, with the sisters being too young, being like, yeah, this is this is guy stuff right here, said the, the nine-year-old boy. Yeah. Uh, and then the last thing, or at least maybe the, the kind of a last adventure that we've done repeatedly so that we, we always knew to look forward to um, was the, the bay up there. I believe it's year-round, but definitely in, in the late summer, early fall is... And now I'm going to not remember what it's called, uh, but it's it, it glows at night. So when you go down to the docks and, you know, it's dark enough out uh, and you run your, your hand through the water, like it just lights up after your hand. What's, um, I mean, what's in the water and define glow? Uh, so it is actually like a, a bunch of, of little microbes, and it's not only there. You know, this happens uh, all over uh, the coast and in, and in different parts of the world. Um, but it looked a lot like Avatar, the movie. You know, when you saw them run through the the different um, leaves and brush, or when they touch the water, there's just this like incandescent neon-like 
uh, glow that follows your hand because as you're running your hand through the water, um, it's triggering all of these uh, little creatures to, to shake and to vibrate and to start lighting up. And it's just one of the coolest things to like, you know, be as a kid, like this is magic. Yeah. You know, you're not expecting it. You don't know how it's working and just touching the water, you know, makes it glow. And so you're drawing shapes in the water at night. And um, even in the early morning, if you went down to do it, it would, it would still be there. And that was always such a, an awesome part of the trip. And it's called Bioluminescence. Did you just Google that? I did. Well done. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's a... Uh, it just it was just so cool and so i mean even since we've been back um you know as adults in life and and my wife and i got married up there uh you know we've done tons of trips up there it's still as adults the like is it dark enough yet is it dark enough yet okay it's dark enough let's go down to the bay and just hang out on the docks and kick your feet in and draw with your hands or even go kayaking at night and you just like see the glow of the kayak in front of you just trailing in the water i'm adding that to my list it's it's happening fairly soon it's uh it's pretty much the same kind of color and look as like a firefly or when you see those um you know in in shows or in aquariums those deep sea fish the angler fish that have that like little glowing orb in front of their face and the big teeth it's pretty much that same type of just like soft neon glow uh and I, i i guess tying to that too then as well like depending on where you live and at least for a lot of my life, even as much as I've lived in different places and, and traveled around, you know, it's usually the, the the living life happens within cities. And what that usually means then is, you know, light pollution and a few stars in the sky, if any. And when you're up in places like Maine and even out in Iceland, um, it's a totally different sky. Like you can see satellites traversing the sky because it's so clear. And it's almost at times hard to pick out an individual star because there's so many um, to check out. So there was definitely, you know, about once a trip up in Maine, we'd go out to the beach, which is super dark, or even go on some, like, you know, sky-seeing tours at night and just lay out for a couple hours and see the Milky Way. You could actually see with your bare eyes in in Maine. And that was another eye-opening thing of helping to... Uh, to reset your mind of you know earth is cool and it's a big place and I'm never going to see it all even if I try but it's still just a a speck in kind of all of this other stuff going on do you think that's what's driving you to want to live in different places and just experience it all I, I do you know maybe not you know only tied to that but I think that's definitely that's definitely part of it um just doing those those road trips as a kid and seeing the different states often and going to a place you know coastal Maine and and coastal New Jersey while coastal couldn't be more different in atmosphere and temperature and people and and nature and I think that that has always triggered uh the adventurer in me to to say I like where I am now but what else is there like how do I know that where I am is the place for me if I haven't tried something else yet. And that kind of, I think it kind of scares me a little bit too because I don't know when when that stops. Like I don't mm. know when you have that feeling of like, this is where I'm supposed to be 
I've, I've tried enough things or I've, I've traveled enough places that like this is where I should be versus that question of always like what is that other place like yeah that's a that's a good question to ask and I think it's the answer is different for everyone too yeah and I haven't found it found it yet obviously you know even at this point um my wife's a, a PhD uh postdoc right now you know trying to find a either next postdoc or, or next full-time position somewhere and so that that helps with that drive because it'd be very different I think or, or maybe at least a bit more complacent if you know we both had our our careers rooted in a single place and said well you know even if we want to try living somewhere else like we have enough benefits here that this is where we should stay but for right now yeah both of us have enough fluidity in our in our job in our current jobs and our careers that that doesn't help out we're more like well we could probably do the same thing over there and you know what if we lived on the beach instead of in a city or what if we tried you know living in canada up in vancouver victoria where it is great or we haven't lived abroad yet so let's maybe go live in iceland or germany and yeah, I don't know when asking those questions stops and you're just like, we'll stay here for now. It's, it's, a, it's a challenge. It's, it's the question of being satisfied, right? Like, is this it? And I don't, I don't know if you could like directly ask that question or if asking that question is missing the point, right? Like, I think the point is just to experience it as it, as it is here and if you see more things then you see more things if you don't you don't so for me um right now i'm in you know new jersey but at any moment in time i could get up and go wherever i need to go for whatever reason so i'm not glued to a specific place um but you know if the opportunity arises where i could go somewhere else i'll go you know and i guess the last thing i'll say about this is like wherever you go there you are right so you have to be able to live with yourself too so so that's important i think too that actually even makes it at least for me um almost more difficult where you know i've traveled enough where i've been to places where i know it's not right for me and you know i, I wouldn't live there but for whatever the current circumstances was you know i was there for a job or a friend or whatever um i've always enjoyed living where i do even if I don't like the place or I don't like the people, like there's always something in that area that as long as you're comfortable with yourself and you know what you like and don't like, like you can find a home anywhere. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I wonder though, Kevin, would you ever consider moving to Maine? Cause you you like when you're talking about it, you sound, there's so much fondness in your voice and, and it, I feel it, you know, I'm like, man, this is where you belong you know do you ever feel that way i do um the thing that stops me from moving or thinking about you know uh seriously currently thinking about living in, in coastal maine or, or even like coastal california or, or anywhere like that is um two things one career uh you know right now i, I do have a career versus necessarily a job and it's something that as as much as i can or as much as I uh, have the drive to currently, like I want to see that career through and see where it can take me. Mm-hmm. And so that's what's kept me personally a lot near uh, cities and larger places, uh, especially right now just because the company I'm working for has 
uh, enough offices across the country in different cities that I've kind of been bouncing through those. So that's one thing. You know, Coastal Maine is awesome and gorgeous, and I'm sure I could have some type of career there. I just don't know with my current career how that would exist there. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then the other thing (laughs) is uh, also traveling to places like that, like Maine and Iceland and and some of the more... um, sparsely populated areas uh as much as i love the kind of farm to table aspect that so many places like those have have really started and um really uh kind of own i do like the city aspect of constant change in in the area and um that sort of pulse to a place you know not necessarily even the the city itself in terms of number of people and and kind of whatever culture or arts are around the area but like um when i lived in boston for the most part the restaurants did not change the year that year and a half that i lived there it was the same places that were always open were always there and you know from what i understood it was kind of just how boston is Mm -hmm. and within a few months i get bored of that real quick yeah so i i mean i also cook a lot which helps balance that out and i'm sure you know if i lived in coastal maine it would be that, you know, rather than going out to a different restaurant or trying a different type of food or, or doing that out, I would just take that into my home and into my kitchen and, and explore that way. But at least again, right now from the time being and my age and, and kind of what I'm looking to get, I, I still prefer to find that going out. Um, but also with that said, California and San Francisco is really expensive. So I, I do, <laughs> I have been dreaming lately of like, you know, I'm at the age where it's time to start looking for some sort of house or apartment or thing to own to put, you know, um, yourself into. And if it can't be where we currently are, which might make sense for us as well, because we are still moving so much and maybe don't know where we want to settle down to, um, mm-hmm. you know, buying a coastal house in Maine sounds really nice right now and renting it out to Airbnb or to local people trying to stay there and, and kind of using that as as a home base somewhere that no matter where we travel to and where we live, we can always know that's there and always come back to that. Mm-hmm. Is uh, It's starting to be very, very tempting. That sounds attractive. And from what you've said, it, it's something that it, you'll probably have me as a visitor on your Airbnb. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think I, I'll have to tag in on that too. I mean, like Maine sounds amazing to me now. I didn't, I didn't know. And you're close enough too, right? I would, I mean, I would highly recommend going up. I have a huge, uh, Google doc of all the lobster roll places from <laughs> Jersey going up to Maine and which ones you should hit and which ones you shouldn't. Uh, I got to list all the parks along the way. Like I said, I have my camping site written down in, in the Google doc. So you know exactly what to rent. It's a, uh, it's a trip worth doing. Well, I'll definitely run in by the lady and um, see if she's interested. Yeah, um, and if, you, if you don't mind sharing this with the, with the world and our listeners, we might uh, make it available as a link as well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll send it out after the show, and, and you guys can put it in the show notes. Thank you. That would be great. Um, when you were talking, I um, it made me think back to, uh, Malone, your question about, like, or... I don't know if Malone or, or you, Kevin, were saying about like just trying to experience different things and um, not knowing when that would be un- enough. And I, I think with that, like the variety that the city gives you, it's 
it's cool just to just experience what you can when you can while you can <laughs> right like um like being around close to new york like i go to different places and and it's cool but you know traveling gives you the opportunity to experience other things and that's cool too so i'm i may just be rambling here but like that that i got the sense of of that uh experience life you know like advancing your your the the things that that uh, that you get exposure to is just a part of life you know i want to call it rambling i think it's it's a valid point in my life as well moving from the east coast to the west coast traveling around um, i think the things around me just enrich me and i have this general uh desire to grow and to learn and to see all that the world has to offer and and to be honest too i mean i think um having not lived in cities and also lived in cities i think cities as long as uh you're open about it and you do have that desire to also travel like i think those trigger points of the restaurants, the new restaurants or the new trendy food scene or whatever is going on. Like, at least for me, that is what triggers that desire to then track down the actual origin of what I just ate or of the art that I saw. Um, one of the strongest pieces for me in, in my memory of that is, is Vietnamese food. Mm. Prior to living in New York, didn't even know anything about Vietnamese food. I, I probably knew it was a country and a, and a war at some point, but that was about it. Um, and living close proximity to Chinatown in, in the East Village was just the thing that, like, within the first six months, like, if, if I didn't have a banh mi sandwich or pho or just even whatever the new thing in that Vietnamese restaurant was, like, once a week, I felt like I was missing out. And that <laughs> totally drove me to track down and understand more about the Vietnamese land and culture and how to travel there. And if I do go, what can I see? And um, for a long time, you know, had that place on the top of my travel list. It has since probably moved, you know, a few spots down, um, but it, it's still like way up there. And the reason I want to go to Vietnam and experience it is because one day I had banh mi for like two fifty in some side stall in Chinatown. <laughs> wow, you gotta put me on that too. <laughs> <laughs> My my food and restaurant, uh, yeah, compendium is, is is probably larger than it should be. It's awesome. Well, thank you, thank you for for sharing your stories and your adventures of your of your childhood. It, it sounds amazing. It's it's uh, to any parent listening, it sounds like a great way to really get to know your, your family and create those memories. <laughs> yeah, if you want to uh, want to get closer to your family, step one, buy a conversion van. <laughs> step two, <laughs> drive somewhere far away. And uh, yeah, step three, uh, then force yourselves to put up a really heavy canvas tent that you're all going to sleep in. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, stay there for a week. And by the end of it, you're either going to really care about each other a lot more and, and know more than you did, or you're going to say, we're never doing this again, <laughs> and you're going to stay at a hotel on the way home. <laughs> yeah. That that sounds like the the perfect recipe. Yeah, well, this this has been official. Official. So much tissue. So Kevin, I've been dying to sing this. This is our this is our outro. 
So if you feel it in you with your booing voice, you can just sing it, you know, official <laughs> tissue. Right? Official tissue. Official tissue? Official tissue. Official tissue. So much tissue. So much tissue. I'm coming up, guys. Well, yeah. thank you. Thank you again. Thanks again. Uh, thanks for listening, guys. And we're out. Have a great day, week, month, year. Peace.